Today's podcast is sponsored by the Davenant Institute and Davenant Hall, reimagining theological education. Visit DavenantHall.com and hear more at the conclusion of this podcast. This is Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. He invites all sinners that for any reason stand at a distance from God to come and take from him the riches of grace running in Christ as a river. Hello and welcome to Theology on the Go. My name is Jonathan Master. I am joined by James Dalzell, the one and only James Dalzell. James, we're glad to welcome a friend. So many of the people that we're able to bring on as guests are friends that we know from outside the podcast, and, and this is no exception to that. We're This is uh, Professor David Whitla, who teaches church history. He's a professor of church history at uh, Reform Presbyterian Theological Seminary, RPTS, in Pittsburgh. Uh, you, can, you can visit them at rpts.edu. It's a seminary that we, we love, and David is here to talk about the Sum of Saving Knowledge, which was just republished by Crown and Covenant in January of this year. So, David, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, it's good to be with you guys. Thanks for the invitation. Well, David, why don't we just start, because some of our um, listeners may be unfamiliar. How, how did the Sum of Saving Knowledge come about? What's a little bit of the background of, of, of this book? Well, the sum of saving knowledge is uh, a product of that great explosion of theological material that appeared in mid-17th century Britain. Uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith, of course, uh, was published in 1647, the larger Shorter Catechisms uh, the following year as part of a covenanted uniformity of religion. And they were quickly ratified by the General Assembly of the Scottish Kirk, the Scottish Church, and, and they quickly disseminated them for public use. Uh, Scottish pastors were were eager to start using it as a teaching tool in their churches, uh, and two pastors in particular, whose names may may be familiar to your listeners, James Durham and David Dixon, uh, they loved the content, but they concluded that for many of their parishioners, the new standards might prove, as they put it, too large and dark. Uh, so they decided they wanted to compile a brief summary, along with notes of practical application for the average person in the pew. And now, now these are not two theological lightweights. Uh, James Durham, uh, by the time this book was published, he was just in his 20s, but already a professor of theology in, in Glasgow University. And his protege, David Dixon, was, was already a legend. He had been a pastor for decades in Irvine. He was a great revival preacher at the Kirk of Shots Revival and a seminary professor as well. Uh, he produced the first commentary on the Westminster Confession. So two great minds uh, who wrote this work. But when it comes to this work, we see these men, I think, more in their capacity as, as shepherds of the flock, uh, seeking to feed Christ's lambs, uh, deep truths in an accessible way. Now, the story behind the formation of the book itself is interesting. These guys would go for walks uh, in the hills of Glasgow, and uh, they actually dictated the first chapter of this to their secretary who was following uh, behind them. That became the first chapter. And then they added these uh, two or three other chapters afterwards, which give the practical application of it. Now, like many 17th century uh, books of the Puritan era, it has a much longer, complicated uh, full title. Uh, the full title is A Brief Sum of Christian Doctrine, 
contained in the Holy Scriptures and holden forth in the foresaid confession of faith and catechisms together with the practical use thereof. So it's quite wordy, but the word foresaid there uh, is included because almost from its first appearance in 1650, it was bound with almost every edition of the Westminster Standards for about three centuries or so. And so it became a cherished part of the Scottish Reformed literary heritage. Uh, but today it is largely unknown. That wasn't always the case. And, and there are many uh, very well-known theologians, preachers, and even martyrs uh, who uh, have testified to the value of this book. I I've actually uncovered uh, 12 Covenanter martyrs on the scaffold recommending uh, to the onlookers that they read the Sum of Saving Knowledge. Robert Murray McShane called it the work which I think first wrought a saving change in me. Uh, I've got quotes from B.B. Warfield, many others as well, which are all uh, great endorsements. So that's that's a brief history of the sum, where it came from, uh, and then where it went. Sometimes we mark people out by their last words, and these are the uh, these are the ones that we give that great weight. Uh, and yet, as you as you mentioned, there are Covenanter martyrs that are recommending this as uh, something uh, to be read. So as readers work through it, this is written for the congregation that might have found the standards daunting. Um, and I mean, anyone who comes like to the larger catechism for the first time can't help but feel a bit overwhelmed. Right. So what can readers expect to find in the sum of saving knowledge? It's not uh, an annotated outline of the standards. And so what sort of things are prominent in the text? Right. Well, as I said, the authors had a pastoral goal in mind to make the saving knowledge, or we would say the soteriology of the Westminster Confession, more accessible. Uh, they did this in, in four brief chapters. The, the doctrinal meat of the book is really found in that first chapter, which is also confusingly called the sum of saving knowledge. And it's basically a crash course in Westminsterian covenant theology with lay people in mind. And then the following chapters are the practical application of that covenant theology in the life of the Christian. So, for example, chapter two is entitled The Practical Use of Saving Knowledge, chapter three, The Warrants and Motives to Believe, and chapter four is The Evidences of uh, true faith. And these uh, chapters were compiled actually from some of uh, David Dixon's sermon notes. They're basically a series of rich Bible studies uh, that seek to apply the theological summary of chapter one to the lives of ordinary Christians. So the purpose of the authors is not just head knowledge of theology, but heart knowledge, making the faith uh, our own. Uh, if we want to summarize it, we could say it is a theological primer on the gospel message the gospel invitation, and the go joyful gospel living that should flow from both. And our purpose, of course, in making this available again is to pursue the same uh, goal of the authors, to get these confessional truths into the hands of the people in the pew uh, in a non-threatening, accessible way. So, David, that's what I wanted to pursue just a little bit, because You've um, you've explained really well the history of the book and, and its usefulness over the centuries, even among luminaries and those who were uh, were killed for their faith in, in your in your experience. Does does it still translate today? I, 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 mean, I suppose the answer is yes, but I wonder if you could if you could maybe articulate that a little bit further. It's it's being republished 
and and it's not being republished so that historians can understand it. We had access to it before. It's more uh, it's it's to put in people's hands today. Um, so could you speak a little bit about its applicability and suitability for church audiences today? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as you say, you put it well, th- this is not an academic publication. Um, the goal of this was the same as that of the original authors. We we realized that we're even further removed in time and language from the confession. And so today's Christians maybe need even more help, and, and especially, I think, those who are new uh, to the Reformed faith. So for new Christians and, and certainly unbelievers, the sheer bulk, uh, as James said, of the larger catechism can be really off-putting. Uh, I'm not saying that we should shelve our standards and replace them with the sum. But uh, if I can use this metaphor, I hope it isn't offensive. I I like to think of the sum as a kind of a gateway drug uh, into the much richer, fuller um, standards that we know and love. So we're trying to lift this out of obscurity from that big bound volume where it's kind of been lost and unleash it again on the churches as a standalone book. And it's a, it's a small pocket-sized cloth hardback with a ribbon marker. It's kind of a gift edition. It's nice to look at. Uh, I hope it won't be intimidating. I should also say, though, that in terms of writing style and structure, it is a product of the 17th century. Um, it's not intimidating in terms of length. It's, I think, 78 pages, this edition. And that's good, I think, because it's not the kind of book you want to gulp down. Um, if I can use a very Irish metaphor, it's it's not a jug of iced tea that you chug down like an American. Uh, it's a cup of finely brewed hot Irish tea that you sip slowly. Uh, this is a book to, to meditate on. Uh, and the structure is somewhat scholastic. So you have points and subpoints and sub-subpoints. That also, I think, can be off-putting for modern readers, and it's easy to lose sight of the wood for the tree. So what we've done is with this edition is we've made the sum, I think, more navigable. Uh, we've retained the original structure. We've made section titles clearer. Uh, we've even added a three-tier apparatus similar uh, to, say, Calvin's Institute's chapter, section, and paragraph to help us uh, find our way around. And then we've lightly modernized the text. Uh, we've updated a few archaic words. We've also replaced the, the King James with the New King James. Uh, all of this, again, is to try not to abridge the text um, or dramatically update the language. We still want readers to hear uh, Durham and Dixon. So it's a work of experimental Calvinism, not theological speculative Calvinism, uh, and it probes the conscience, invites ordinary Christians to examine and assess their Christian experience. So, David, in light of that, I'm wondering, um, as you've spent more time in it with this edition coming out, are there any favorite portions of the sum of saving knowledge that stick with you or or have been particularly um poignant as you've as you've used this with others? I mean, what what are your what are your favorite parts is I guess what I'm asking. Well, uh, wow, there are so many to choose from here. Uh, One of the great contributions of this book, I think, is its treatment of the covenant of redemption. Uh, David Dixon was a theologian who really, um, he's quite well known as really uh, bringing forward this uh, this uh, this point of our of our dogma um in, in a very powerful way uh, in terms of the development of covenant theology that's very significant uh, so at the risk of um maybe getting uh, more theological um let me give you a little flavor of what he says on the covenant of redemption he says the sum of the covenant of redemption is this God, having freely chosen unto life a certain number of lost mankind for the glory of his rich grace, 
gave them before the world began to God the Son, who was appointed their Redeemer. The condition was that he would humble himself so far as to assume the human nature of a soul and a body into personal union with his divine nature, submit himself to the law as surety for them, and satisfy justice for them by giving obedience in their name, even to suffering the cursed death of the cross. Thus, he would ransom and redeem them all from sin and death, and purchase for them righteousness and eternal life with all the saving graces that lead to them, and to be effectually applied in due time to every one of them by means of his own appointing. So there's the there, there's a very simple, sim, simple uh, overview of the covenant of redemption, but it's interesting that the authors walk the tightrope between the sovereignty of God in election and salvation, but also the free offer of the gospel. And if I may um, read just another brief um, paragraph on that, uh, this is a, an exposition of Isaiah 55, 1 to 5. He says, this in this chapter, the Lord makes an open offer of Christ and his grace by the proclamation of a free and gracious sale of righteousness and salvation to be had through Christ to every soul without exception that truly desires to be saved from sin and wrath. For, says he, ho, everyone who thirsts. He invites all sinners that for any reason stand at a distance from God to come and take from him the riches of grace running in Christ as a river to wash away sin and to extinguish wrath. Come to the waters, says he, and he craves no more of his buyer but this, that he be pleased with the wares offered, which are grace and more grace, and that he heartily consent to and embrace this offer of grace so he may close the bargain and make a formal covenant with God. Come, buy without money, says he. Come, eat. So that gives you, I think, a little flavor of the just the pastoral heart of these men. Uh, this is a work, I think, that can be used very effectively for uh, for evangelism, uh, for new believers as well. Of course, he goes on in the applicatory sections to talk about how to find assurance of salvation. Uh, there's a wonderful section on, on sanctification that I think is a very helpful antidote to some forms of antinomianism that we're finding in the churches today. Um, there's many, many treasures uh, in this work, and I heartily commend it to your hearers. David, we're we're uh, thrilled with your um, light editing and introduction uh, of this work and putting it back into the hands of the people for whom the original authors intended uh the the lay Christian who needs to who needs to be walking with Christ and trusting the gospel and and even seeing uh, even in some of your readings there the the wonderful purposes of God in the gospel to magnify Himself through grace in our lives and that that faith is is what He requires of us and repentance and that He offers it freely. This this book is as you say and even as listeners can hear from what you're reading um, really a a wonderful and beautiful treatment of that theme, and uh, it's our it's our hope that uh, this gets into many hands uh, and is again an encouragement um, to the church. So thank you for all of your effort uh, in helping produce this edition of the Sum of Saving Knowledge. Absolutely, and I might just add to your hearers that uh, there is also a an eleven part inductive Bible study or study through the book, uh, which is available at the publishers as well, CrownandCovenant.com, and 
Uh, certainly, we're hopeful that this will be used um, for a group study, for personal study, evangelistic study. Um, I talked through it initially when I was a pastor uh, several years ago, and uh, we thought it to be a rich work indeed. Thanks, David. Thank you for coming on today and for spending a few moments with us. We really uh, are, are hopeful, like you, that this gets into a lot of people's hands and that they go to, you said the Bible study was on the Crown and Covenant website, right? That's right. Yeah. www.crownandcovenant.com. Great. And we'll we'll provide a link for that in our show notes. And uh, we would we would actually encourage listeners to go and and seek out other resources that Crown and Covenant has. We're uh, we're, we're delighted to commend them to you. And David, thanks. Thanks again so much for being with us. You're very welcome. Thanks for the opportunity. Well, James, it's it's encouraging, I think, sometimes to realize that the the difficulties that many have today when they come to the Westminster Standards are not new. Um, there was there was an acknowledgement early on from pastors who knew their people that th- these things are are hard to wrap your arms around. Not to say we shouldn't try, and David made that point. Not to say we should lower the bar or anything like that. Um, but but just to say that sometimes a summary and an introduction can be very helpful, and the sum of saving knowledge really provides such a summary and introduction. So uh, it's it's good to see this in this edition, and I hope that that it'll find a, a wider readership. He called it a gateway drug. I'd like to say yes. under under doctor supervision of Durham and Dixon. Uh, in this <laughs> case, it's being prescribed, uh, but it's it, it is in That's fact very good. Uh, yes, I, exactly. I think it's something that bring it, that it will bring readers into uh, an encounter with the Reformed faith. Many come into the Reformed faith usually through the doctrines of grace, uh, divine sovereignty. Um, this is this is showing that even as you come into that m- more um, Augustinian Calvinistic way of being Christian, that in fact it's it's not without the solicitude of the gospel and of grace and of and of real obedience and walking in all the ways of new obedience through the grace of Jesus Christ that that also is. Um, an essential aspect of Reformed Christianity, and I'm not sure that there's a there's a sort of small book that shows that more plainly and clearly uh, than the Sum of Saving Knowledge. Well, for listeners who might be interested in uh, the possibility of winning a copy of this, we do have some from our friends at Crown and Covenant. You can go to placefortruth.org, click on the Theology on the Go link, enter your information there, and and we do have some of these to give away. But it's it's a it's a very uh, in, relatively inexpensive and and accessible book. So if you if you don't get your own copy through placefortruth.org, you can order order it anywhere. And as David mentioned, uh, Crown and Covenant is also running a a series of Bible studies to go along with the book, and those you can access at the publisher's website. If you uh, know someone who may be helped by this podcast, please pass it along to them. If you can rate and review the podcast, that does help us get the word out. And also, if you're able to make a donation to the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, you could do that at alliancenet.org or placefortruth.org. There's a donate button on the top right-hand corner of both of those pages. Thank you for listening to Theology on the Go, a brief interview about an eternal truth. The Davenant Institute seeks to retrieve the riches of classical Protestantism to renew and build up the contemporary church. Key to this mission is their educational arm, Davenant Hall. In an age where much theological education both overlooks the riches of church history and keeps students in debt, 
Davenant Hall is reimagining theological education. Davenant Hall takes full advantage of digital technology to make high-quality theological education affordable via online courses, including two degree programs and PhD supervision. Students can be enrolled at any time during the academic year. Still, in-person fellowship is key to Christian formation, so Davenant Hall hosts regular residentials at the Davenant House Study Center in the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains of South Carolina. Registration for spring term 2023 classes running April to June is now open, closing March 29th. Fees start at just $225 for a 10-week class, with a two-hour Zoom class with expert professors each week. Classes include a biblical theology of the sexes with Alistair Roberts, the Reformation in the Modern World with Brad Littlejohn, and more. Visit DavenantHall.com to find out more and DavenantInstitute.org for an even broader perspective. DavenantHall.com